This is the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast, Episode 147. Well, good day and welcome to this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. I'm your host, podcaster, and author of Fun Fantasy Reads, Jamie Davis. This podcast is exactly what the title says it is, folks. It's a show where we focus on everything to do with fantasy and sci-fi books. We look at all kinds of things, epic fantasy, urban fantasy, swords and sorcery, space opera. Heck, we get into frontier fantasy in the wilds of space in this uh, in an upcoming episode. But um, what I mean to tell you is we get all of the best and brightest authors that you want to hear from in the fantasy and sci-fi world here on the show, and we bring them to you every week. Let's go ahead and kick off with what I'm working on. Um, I have been working hard plotting the next story in my Extreme Medical Services series. Uh, The working title is The Paramedic's Sorceress, and that's rolling along nicely, and I expect the next book will be published sometime later this spring. Um, In the meantime, if you want to check out the rest of that series, I mean, this is book nine, so we got eight other books to check out, plus a prequel and a couple of short stories. Um, You can look that up um, over at my website, jamiedavisbooks.com, or um, check out even the most recent book, The Paramedics Amazon, which just came out in December. For everything else I'm working on, you can check out what I'm up to, including sneak peeks of upcoming covers. Um, I've been doing some special giveaways at this uh, over at my Facebook group and more. Just visit my fan group over on Facebook, Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers, and um, you can check out what I'm doing over there. Uh, and uh, so I come on and join us. So we have a lot of fun. We talk about uh, not just my books, but fantasy in general. Um, we talk about fantasy movies and books we've been reading, and it's a lot of fun. So I urge you to come over and join us. Okay, today on the show, I am chatting with author Stanley Wheeler. Stanley says he was born at the intersection of Once Upon a Time and Where No Man Has Gone Before. After growing up on a dairy farm, he decided that sort of farm work and labor wasn't for him, so he went on to get an undergraduate degree and eventually proceeded to law school. He now works as a prosecuting attorney, but spends his spare time writing stories in a genre he likes to call flintlock fantasy. So here's my interview with Stanley as we chat about his Tomahawks and Dragonfire series, plus a whole lot more. Check it out. Stanley Wheeler, great to have you here on the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. Welcome to the show. Great. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Why don't you take a few seconds or minutes and introduce yourself to the audience uh, of readers we have on the show. Uh, Let them know a little bit about who you are and how you got started writing. Okay. Well, uh, as you might have guessed, I'm Stanley Wheeler, and uh, I'm from Idaho. I write in a variety of genres. And I'm kind of attached at the moment uh, to uh, flintlock fantasy, and I've uh, quite enjoy it. I'm currently uh, working as a prosecuting attorney in a small town in Idaho. I first started writing, oh, you know, when I was a kid. Um, I remember uh, I once started typing a story. I thought it'd be cool to do it on a typewriter. Started typing a, a story about it, an otter. And I was, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade, maybe. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, that story never got finished. I've I've got lots of unfinished things, <laughs> probably like most authors, I suppose. I think we all have things in various stages of completion uh, along the way, and and uh, at any given time, I think that's just the normal thing. Yeah, I remember I, I grew up on a dairy, and uh, I can remember, you know, telling stories in my head that would often use, uh, you know, classmates from school, only we would be uh, little tiny people, you know, a couple inches tall. And so we would have to improvise tools and weapons and uh, airplanes and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, and I would do that while I would go out and uh, feed the feed the calves the uh, their uh, their uh, milk bottles. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, um, my uh, grandfather had a dairy farm, and every summer, all the cousins were expected to pitch in and help out for a couple of weeks. So, um, I, I can um, commiserate with you on that. Um, <laughs> baling hay and the whole nine yards. Yeah, all that fun stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's funny. My wife and I talked about being one of the last generations to really have that kind of an experience. Uh, there's not a lot of people that, you know, worked in a family farm in any length of time anymore. That is so true. It's, uh, it's really dying out. And in fact, I paid for part of my college with custom swathing and bailing for uh, in the summer. Wow. Um, so listen, let's talk a little bit about this flint flintlock fantasy. Um, I didn't, no, that was a thing, even though I've written a book that might fit into that category. So why don't you explain a little bit about what it is for you and uh, how you got started writing in that genre? Okay. Well, of course, there are uh, some famous folks uh, some who, who write in the genre, and it's also called a gunpowder fantasy. Although maybe flintlock fantasy is more of a subset of the gunpowder fantasy. You know, historically, you know, from roughly 1620, 1650 to, you know, 1850 is kind of the 200-year historical period of the use of the flintlock uh, as, as the primary weapon for armies. And, um, and that, that time was a whole period of change, upheaval, revolution, lots of discovery, lots of exciting things were happening going on there. And um, I think that translates well to uh, the fantasy world where we're all used to, uh, you know, the epic fantasy, the Tolkien type fantasy, uh, the uh, Shannara, all these things of swords and magic and knights and horses, um, sorcerers and wizards. But it's fun to uh, move that into uh, a period where there's it's a little bit more modern, but it's still not modern day. And uh, that way, you you know, a flintlock, basically you have one shot. So if you're in close quarters and you're, 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 you're in a skirmish or a scuff, uh, a scuffle, um, you might get up one shot before you have to resort to other means. And so it makes for exciting combat and interesting combat situations, uh, more than just we typically get with the spear and the sword and the arrow. How did I get into that? That's a real good question. I've had uh, um, my first books. I wrote a couple westerns and uh, a noir detective book set in the 1940s. But I had had this idea going along in my head about uh, something set 
historically on the American continent. And originally the idea was back pre-Columbian. And, and I started a, a story on that, but I finally decided the story I wanted to tell was actually set during the American Revolution. And that just naturally uh, fit in with Flint's flintlock fantasy. The other half of that equation uh, is that, you know, since I was about in eighth grade, I've had a fascination for the Napoleonic Wars, which, of course, would, would have all been uh, flintlock um, time period. And so that's naturally what has kind of drawn me to that genre is the uh, that whole uh, an interest in that historical period. I'm a, I'm a fanatic for Sharps Rifles and uh, oh, yeah. whole series by Bernard Cornwell. I mean, it's just it's such a great story and so so much so rich with history. It is yes, I've I've uh, loved those books. It was one of the greatest days of my life when I discovered those. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's funny. I I the series I wrote that kind of sort of fits in there is, is um, it's actually a, a game lit series where a guy gets stuck in a fantasy game and the fantasy world is actually real. Um, but the game transports him there. And uh, what yeah. happens is that they discover gunpowder and it breaks magic. And, oh, um, cool. you know, so the technology advances have, have changed the way magic works. And um, so in the second trilogy, they've discovered enough to have, rudimentary flintlock firearms, um, uh, small cannon. Um, so we get into pirate sailing ships and a whole bunch of swashbuckling nonsense and a lot of fun. Oh, um, great. Well, tell me the name of that. Well, uh, it's, it's, um, it's the first, the trilogy is the accidental traveler. And, um, okay. that then expands where the flintlock, uh, series part of it comes in to the second trilogy, which is the accidental champion series. Um, okay. and, uh, so yeah, it's actually, uh, the main character in the second trilogy is the the character's daughter from the first trilogy. So um, she kind of stumbles onto the game years later and gets sucked in and doesn't realize that everything's different from what it was originally. So, yeah. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. So it's a lot of fun. Um, and I, and I, I like exploring that kind of concept of, the, you know, having the juxtaposition of, of something more powerful in a modern sense, like gunpowder, um, in a world that has some magic in some sense in semblance and, and combining the two because magic has always taken the place of explosives and gunpowder and things, nice. things like that in t- typical fantasy worlds, um, where that, that kind of industrial power comes from the magical, um, and not necessarily from the the industry or the the advancements in science. So it's an interesting interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, and, and I think probably there's a theory there that uh, you know the the existence of magic uh, restricts or hinders the development of the scientific and industrial advancements because people may become may become dependent upon the magic as opposed to. Uh, um, you know, ingenuity and developing new techniques and, and science. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really a lot of fun to kind of delve into that, that whole concept. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I'm looking forward to checking your books out. Um, Tomahawks and Dragonfire is a three book series that you wrote. um, And um, 
So the first book is Threading the Rude Eye. Tell us a little bit about the series and uh, the characters and, and uh, how, how it works out for you. Great, thanks. The uh, Threading the Rude Eye is, is the first book of the first trilogy. And uh, naturally, people want to know where that uh, strange name for a book came from. I actually got that from a Shakespeare quote. I think it was from uh, the play uh, John, King John. And uh, at some point, somebody tells them, unthread the rude eye of rebellion and come back and join us. And I thought that was appropriate because in Flint, in this Flintlock fantasy, in threading the rude eye, the main characters pass through the eye of the rebellion in the colonies in America. So the way the story develops, there is a a young woman named Lucette, and she's from France. And of course, the while it's a very similar world, it's not the exact same world that we're familiar with. And in this, in this case, uh, France is beset by numerous enemies, including Great Britain. And Lucette is charged with taking a map to a hidden cache of magic in the new world to an important person who can do something with it in the new world. Uh, naturally, there's an antagonist, an enemy who follows her, who's after her. And, and when you first learn of him, he's simply called the commander. Uh, eventually, you get to learn his name and more about him. But uh, He's called the commander. He's the supreme commander of all of the British forces. And he's kind of a power unto himself because he already wields this magical power. And so he's the strongest person on the board at, that time, at this time. Anyway, Lucette gets captured. The map passes on. And we come into our, our next main character, who is Alex. Now, Alex sees a future, a bright future for himself. He lives on an island, much like Bermuda. Um, and his plan, he's studying for the law while he completes his indentureship. And his plan is to return to, to go back to England, where, where he's originally from, where he was born, and practice law, wants to be a barrister. And so he has a mentor there on the island who's... Uh, who was once a famous barrister who's training him. And he, that's what he plans to do. But the arrival of this map to the cache, um, this cache of magic, and, and in the book it's called Cartier's Cache. And, and that's a, a little separate tangent that I'll go off in in a minute. But um, this destroys all of Alex's plans, his hopes, his dreams, He's initially against the revolution, wants nothing to do with it, um, is very, very upset at the at the colonists for what they're doing. But he gets swept up into this and he uh, pursues the cache of magic. And the the cache is is ancient. It was hidden by um, an Indian named Mintakana. And this, the magic comes and is related to the dragons because there are dragons in the new world. And, and that's kind of the mix that um, 
that the story takes place in. I, I like to think of it as Last of the Mohicans meets the Patriot and Star Wars. Wow. And so it's, it's, it's an exciting mix, and I've, I've really had a, a great time uh, uh, writing it. It's, it sounds fascinating. And I, I love the Revolutionary War and, and, and that period of colonial America um, as a great time frame um, to write because there are so many factions and diff, you know people there are there you know there are a lot of people who wanted nothing to do with the revolution. I mean, you know, right? They, and but they weren't necessarily fans of the king. They just wanted to live their lives, you know. And and uh, so there's 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 a lot of there's just a lot to, of history to dig dig into there, and it really gives you a lot of opportunities to go in many different directions. Um, uh, so that that just sounds fascinating. Um, and a lot of fun. It, it is. It's, it's quite a fertile field. There are a few famous people that come into play, but the story's not about them. It's about Alex and Lucette primarily, and then there are the dragon hunters who become involved as well. Excellent. Excellent. So it, this, is, this series is complete, or are you, uh, you know, I know you've got a, three books out. Is there more coming? There, there are. There's at least one more trilogy. Uh, perhaps two, depending on how the how far I get in the second trilogy. What's uh, what's the thought process on when those things will be out? I mean, it, it continues obviously the story in the first trilogy in some sense, and and moves it on. I you know I like writing in three book sets too. It's funny, you know. I just feel like that it's I you know I write in a three act structure, and I feel like the books in a set go together in a similar way. Um, just seems like oh, it yeah. works for me. Yeah, I, I, I quite agree. I originally though, I had planned on writing a single book. That's what I outlined. And then as I began writing it, I realized, Oh, I don't have a single book here. I've got a trilogy. <laughs> I've got, I've got to, I've got to make this a trilogy to do it right. The, 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 and the second trilogy, it will pick up shortly after the end of the first trilogy, uh, where we've got a new set of things going on, new developments in the war, and some interesting things. Uh, it's it's particularly particularly character driven. It doesn't necessarily follow along with the uh, with the Revolutionary War per se. Uh, that is a factor in the mix, but there's a whole separate adventure here. In fact, in the start, we've got a lot more historic, historical related stuff. And as they pass through Boston and the Battle of Bunker Hill and proceed out more into the interior, uh, it becomes more and more uh, fantasy and less history. Sounds and you've got that whole frontier to deal with, right? I mean, there's so much out there that that's unknown to the time period that you could just, you know, it's that gray area you can fill in as, as you want in your fantasy world. That that's really, you know, sounds fascinating. So yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no. I I was just I'm just enjoying hearing about this. Um, but I want to get into finding out where folks can book find the books i guess over in um on amazon um and if they want to get in touch with you and and kind of follow up with you do you uh reach out to your readers anywhere online in particular well i do i do have uh, a blog and i also have a a an author page on facebook uh, St- under stanley wheeler 
My blog is stanleywheeler.blogspot.com. And I also have a page on MeWe. Um, and I'm working on a newsletter uh, that I anticipate to send out monthly. Excellent. And, and I noticed on your blog that you, um, you interview other authors. That, that's got to be a lot of fun. It, it is. It's always interesting to see what other people are doing and what their thought process is and how they, how they present it uh, to, to interest readers and to interest other authors. What's one of the things you've you found that you have in common with a lot of the authors you interview? Is there anything that, that you find is like a common thread for authors? I think one of the common threads is, well, first, we're consumed by writing stories. But the second one is none of us really claim to be experts in how they go together. There are a lot of different points of view. There are vague ideas. You know, there are... Um, you know, people who will tell you these are the steps to writing it. But once you break them all down, you think, yeah, that's really all pretty simple and intuitive stuff. But we all want to we all want a, a good structure that helps build our story and helps us tell that story. And, and and so I find that I'm not the only one who. While. You know, I. I it's hard to it's hard to put into words, which is strange for an author. You know, I should be very articulate. <laughs> no, but, I, know, uh, <laughs> I know what you're getting. I know where you're going because, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of authors about their process and 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 how they come about, you know, writing their stories. And and you're right. No, nobody claims to to know the the answer. And I don't know that there is the answer because, uh, you know, for a thousand, I think if you put a thousand authors in a room and you ask them all how to write a book, you'd get a thousand answers because every you know telling a story is personal and everybody comes up with their inspiration and their their style and and how they they feel that the story needs to progress on their own i mean and, and there may be certain conventions that are used to tell the story so that it's understandable and familiar to the readers but uh when it comes down to it you know, you know we're all I think a lot of authors, you know, are all just storytellers. We've been storytellers all our lives and we just found another way to tell the story. Right. We, we, we love to tell the story and nobody can tell us how to tell our story because it comes from us. But we also know that there are things that, um, or, you know, story structures that have resonated with humanity throughout the ages and, and we understand that if we can fit our story into that structure, or at least something close to it, it's going to resonate more with readers. And and you know they can follow along on the roller coaster ride. They can climb the mountain with you. They can um, enjoy the the thrill of the chase and the battle, and then you know the glorious ending. Um, if if you can put it all together right. And, and that's why I think fantasy is so much of a challenge in so many ways. Um, it, it's, it's satisfying to the reader, but there needs to be that familiar thing. There needs to be something in there that they can see either themselves in that situation or, um, something to pull them into the story, um, in a way that, that 
makes sense to them. So yes, you can have magic, but it can't be so fantastical that it's like some sort of, you know, acid trip. <laughs> where you know, where, you know, where it's nothing makes any sense. Nothing is tied to any part of reality, um, and and that's sometimes I think a, a danger. Sometimes early writers get into is not yeah. not keeping it grounded somewhere. And, you know, it doesn't have to be completely grounded, but there has to be some place where somebody's got a foot on solid ground to to give somebody a place to step off from. Exactly. And, and, a, and a problem is making the magic. If, if, if the magic can solve every problem, you don't have a really great story. That's the truth. Yeah. I mean, the characters have to have to have to do something uh, that comes from them and that it's a that it's a tough struggle and bad things have to happen to them. They can't just simply, uh, you know, dial up the magic at every inconvenience and overcome it that way. There has to be the risk, right? Uh, there has to be a risk that 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 someone's going to lose something, uh, and maybe it's not the character losing their life, but there has to be something they're they're going to lose, and could conceivably lose, even though you hope they pull through and win in the end. Um, and some of my favorite stories are those ones where it, it's it's a you know it's a pyrrhic victory. It's it's that it, it's that sense of um, we won, but we lost so much getting there. Yes. As James T. Kirk said, risk is our business. <laughs> That's, great. That's great. And, and with risk, uh, you know, if, if things are not lost along the way, then the story doesn't really touch the reader in the way that you want it to. Because as a, as a writer, all, all of these characters are growing up inside of you and you're getting in each of their skin uh, to as you go about the adventure um, and the story. And so if it doesn't take a toll on them, the reader loses the empathy. And I don't think they care as much about a character who does not suffer. Some of my favorite stories are, are the, including the ones that, that I've written have been the ones where I didn't know where I didn't know how they were getting out of the problem. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, I do plot my stories, but there's a certain point where I say, all right, this, this is where something bad's going to happen. And I'm not sure what that bad thing is. And I'm not sure what the solution is. And for me, that is the most exciting part of writing a story is that I get to discover how the, how the character figures out how to get out of their problem. Um, and, and it's not the same the way that I would do it necessarily. And, and that's so much fun. Yeah. You've touched on something that just makes writing so exciting is that whole discovery process. Um, in, in the uh, Tomahawks and Dragonfire series, in fact, in the first book, Threading the Rude Eye, there is a point at which Lucette and some of the other members are captured. They're held in a tower and there's a confrontation between Jonathan, who also has the same power that the commander has. And, you know, they have a confrontation. They've both got their, uh, their powers going and the others are witnessing it. And in the midst of this, I suddenly realized 
this has to have a specific resolution and I haven't figured out how to get to that yet. <laughs> and, and so I wrote it right up to that point. And, and then of course it just kind of uh, marinated a little while and suddenly there was the discovery of how it had to be resolved. And that resolution had a dramatic effect on the entire rest of the book. And, and one of the characters in particular uh, uh, upon Lucette and uh, you know, it's moments like that, those epiphanies that just uh, make it all worthwhile. Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Um, Stanley, it's been great chatting with you, but we've got to kind of wrap things up here. Um, you, you said uh, your website where people can find you. Um, I urge people to go over and check out your blog at stanleywheeler.blogspot.com where um, you've got some great interviews with other authors as well as updates on what you're working on and, of course, your Facebook page. I'll have links to all of that in the show notes as well as, of course, to your books as well. Um, but thanks so much for coming on the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. Great. Thanks so much for having me. It has really been a joy talking to you. It's unfortunate that we can't just get together and talk anytime. Uh, and I'm going to look up your books, The Accidental Traveler and The Accidental Champion, if I've got that right. You do. And uh, thank you very much for doing that. I'm looking forward to reading yours as well. And, um, and uh, maybe at some point down the road, we can uh, get together and uh, compare, compare notes on our Flintlock fantasies. Great. And that's going to wrap up this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. I hope you'll catch up with us for a whole lot more from the fantasy and sci-fi focus community that's available over on Facebook and, of course, on the website fantasy-focus.com. If you're over there on the website, go ahead and check out this episode and leave a comment while you're over there. Also, while you're over there um, on the podcast episode posts, uh, right below the audio um, player at the top of each post, you'll find links to subscribe to the show, whether by email, um, by your iOS or Android device of choice. Um, so check it out and subscribe to the show because you don't want to miss any of our upcoming episodes. We've got some amazing authors scheduled over the next few months and you don't want to miss them. Next week, we will be chatting with author Troy Young about his fantasy and sci-fi offerings. And that was a lot of fun. I think you'll want to look forward to that. That's it for this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jamie Davis, author of Fun Fantasy Reads. Don't forget to follow me over on Facebook in my fan group, Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers, and of course at my website, jamiedavisbooks.com, where if you want to get a free book of mine, you can do that. Head over to my website and check the link in the right-hand side where you can download a free book as you sign up for my newsletter. Whatever else you do, though, subscribe and come back here to the next podcast. And while you're waiting, remember to keep your eyes open, folks, because whether you know it or not, there's magic all around you. <laughs>